of the Founders DNA, an interview series of hustlers and entrepreneurs where we delve deep into the DNA of these individuals to explore what makes a successful founder. I'm your host, Aisha Ghoshal, and for this episode, we have Sudhir Kamath as our guest. Sudhir is the co-founder and CEO of Nine Stacks, one of India's popular poker-playing platforms that offers a safe and reliable gaming experience. On this episode, we delve deeper into how his past experiences have culminated to him leading a successful company. So let's get this started and delve deeper by hearing from Sudhir. Thanks Sudhir, thank you so much for joining me on the Founders DNA podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me over, Um, look forward to it. Great. So Sudhir is the co-founder of Nine Stacks, one of India's online poker gaming platforms, offering poker players as a secure gaming platform. So I thought we would start with you telling us a bit about what Nine Stacks is about and its genesis. Um, sure. In fact, uh, we now offer two different games. So there okay. is Nine Stacks, which offers online poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also launched a fantasy sports portal called Faboom.com, F-A-B-O-O-M. Um, and both of these are now serving close to like about 300,000 customers each. Um, what we do in each is, uh, so let me talk about Nine Stacks first. So Nine Stacks offers uh, poker. I'm sure you've played poker and many other people mm-hmm. uh, in, especially in cities in India now are exposed to poker and play that quite often. Um, what we realized was that there was a gap for a good, reliable company offering online poker uh, across India. Uh, there were some companies out there, but most of them were only targeting high rollers or very experienced players. Mm. But as we said, there's a large number of people who are learning poker for the first time. And can we create a platform which is very friendly, easy to use, designed for them? So that's what we built. Great. Um, so how, moving on from that, how has your experience been founding a startup in the online gaming industry specifically, are there any misconceptions that people might have with relation to the regulations or just the ease of doing business in that specific industry? Maybe you could shed some light on that. Sure. I think many of us have been gamers when we were kids or played different kinds of games, Hmm. uh, whether computers, video games or just physical games with friends as well, right? I think most people when it comes to online gaming mm. uh, tend to think of it as either something which only like a very small minority of geeks really right. enjoy playing or some people have a misconception that online games involving cards are basically equal to gambling. Mm. So when we started, uh, even for us it was a revelation to understand that as per India's laws, uh, playing poker for stakes or playing rummy for stakes or playing bridge is actually perfectly legal. Uh, so what actually happens from a regulatory point of view is that uh, India has strict laws against gambling and gambling is effectively defined as taking a punt or putting money on something where you can't really control the outcome. So it's not dependent upon your skill. Hmm. Whereas if there is something which is linked to your skill, then that is something you can wager your own money upon. Isn't that quite subjective? It is. Uh, in fact, that is typically the question on which many legal cases will resolve Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where for example in the case of poker you look at what is the past history of how often have people uh, played it what kind of skill is involved 
and do skillful people win consistently in the long run or people without skill lose consistently in the long run mm. so and these kinds of studies have been done internationally in places like Harvard MIT etc uh, in India there's IIM Kozikur which actually runs a course on poker um, there are various other studies which have basically demonstrated that poker requires a high degree of skill mm. and similarly for Rami and now increasingly also for fantasy sports mm. but it does not for example apply to something like say maybe Teenpati which a lot of people play during Diwali but is not actually a game of right. skills um, or uh, maybe even uh, say something like roulette or the casino games mm. those are not games of skill so sounds great so I'm gonna shift a bit and I thought we would delve a bit deeper into your experience before you started this so could you Sure. Explain, I, like, could you tell us a bit more about what you were doing before you started? Sure. I, uh, many years back, I did my MBA from IIM Ahmedabad, then worked with McKinsey initially for a few years. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so I was a consultant working in different industries. One of those industries was oil and gas. So after McKinsey, I actually moved to a company making investments in the oil and gas space. Mm -hmm. And within that, I moved to a group company which was actually running an oil company. So I was the CEO of a company called Santera Energy. Uh, we uh, were headquartered in India but had assets in other parts of the world as well mm -hmm. and primarily we were operating in Nigeria, Myanmar and India. Uh, so I did that for a few years, had a good run at that and along the way I had been making investments in startups as an angel or as an advisor to friends who were starting up. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, it was always an area of interest for me to see sort of how startups mm -hmm. grow, develop, etc. And I was looking at different ideas and one of those was around gaming which came thanks to my co-founder and then we sort of delved deeper into this area and figured that mm. poker and eventually fantasy sports and rummy possibly were the way to go. So that was kind of the journey uh, over many years. But, uh, <laughs> so how would you say that your skills that you've accumulated over your corporate experience so to, so to say has helped you or has enabled or enabled you to start this venture? I think uh, uh, I think it's true for each founder that you all take something from your journey right. and sort of use it in different yeah. ways. In our case, we are a group of founders, so each of us brings different skills to the table. Hmm. Um, I'm a co-founder and also the CEO of the business, so I think some of the skills that I brought in from my earlier sort of lives as ever, uh, one is just the ability to run a company per se, hmm. right? So setting up the structures, the teams, um, sort of how do you ensure that people are motivated and at the same time they have clear sort of responsibilities, KRAs. Um, and I've done that before as a consultant with McKinsey and also when I was running Santera. Mm. Um, so it was sort of natural progression here. I think the one other thing that I would say uh, I learned especially at McKinsey was just the willingness to sort of ask questions and look for data uh, and sort of frame answers based upon that. And how important do you think that skill is? I think it's critical, especially in the early days of a startup, uh, when you're still sort of your business model isn't fully set. There are mm. different uh, options that you can go, and uh, sort of in hindsight, there are some questions that if you had answered incorrectly, would probably mm. have made the company shut down, like so day mm. one or day ten or day hundred. Yeah. And in order to survive, sort of you need to make those choices as you go along, and hopefully we made the right choices along the way. Mm. And if you can't base those choices on data, then you're basically guessing. Which also works sometimes. Your <laughs> guess and then say this works and let's try for it. Hypothesize. Hypothesize, <laughs> but uh, unless you can actually prove or disprove a hypothesis, it's yeah. difficult to work. Mm. I think. So at least our philosophy. Yeah. yeah. 
Great. So um, now that you've been an entrepreneur for a few years, um, how do you say you've grown in terms of your professional as well as your personal development while you've been an entrepreneur as opposed to when you started? I think uh, so. before I became an entrepreneur, I was running a company. So many of the common skills in terms mm -hmm. of running a company, I think I've just sort of continued on the same track rather than picked up new. But I think being an entrepreneur, the extra uh, edge or the extra layer is around just the buck really does stop here. Yeah. So the responsibility for not just yourself, but the team that you have built. Mm. Um, and at many times, the necessity to take decisions quickly. Mm. Uh, for example, if there's a person who's a problem case in the company, how quickly can you take a call saying, this guy's not going to fit in with the culture of the mm. company and we need to either move the person on or make the person sort of change the way that mm. they work. It's something that you would do in a normal corporate job as well, but in a startup, you just need to take that call much, much quicker. So how do you, is it a, is it something that you learn on the job or like what is it that made you enabled you to get better at it? I think uh, it's a lot of it is learning on the job, but uh, there are also some interesting kind of support networks out there. Mm -hmm. um, maybe implicit ones in a way, because so there are ex-colleagues who also started companies. Mm. Uh, there are obviously professional networks like DIE, etc. But there are people out there that you can reach out to for advice who would have been through similar situations. And at least as an entrepreneur, I've found counsel from other founders to be very, very useful and usually very targeted. So you ask a specific question, you mm. will get a specific answer. Interesting. And now that you mention having counsel, having a network, how do you build that network? I mean, as an, say for example, as a newly formed founder, mm. how would you go about it? Like what are some of the, what has worked for you? Um, I think early days of a startup is not the right time to build mm -hmm. a network because I think at that time really the focus is entirely on mm -hmm. the company, the product really. Sure. Um, at some level some of these networks draw on life before starting up mm -hmm. and more I would say now in the last year or so when sort of the company is a little bit stable, uh, I think it's a conscious choice to also try and go out and meet uh, yeah. other companies. Obviously as you go through funding rounds you will obviously meet investors right. so you get advice from them in mm. any case. But it's a conscious choice to try and reach out to other founders in sort of networking forums, uh, informal catch-ups at other people's houses, friends, whatever. Hmm. So, hmm. That Interesting. Now that you've been here, you've been around for two years in this field, how has your expectations of yourself changed over the course? I think when we started, uh, we didn't really have a clear roadmap in terms of where we would reach, either as a company or as people, just mm. when we started, right? So at one level, it is a hypothesis that, yeah, we will right. do well, this this market has mm. potential, etc., etc. I think as you keep growing, you do begin to get much clearer targets and expectations for yourselves uh, as a company and as a team. So that's happened in this case. I think in, in, at one level, it's just financial, where you say we've raised around at X. Now clearly we need to deliver a 5x, 10x value to those investors mm. and that then implies certain goals in terms of the business. So mm. it becomes... So that's external. Yeah. I mean internally. I mean you obviously had an expectation that this is what I can do when I first started. How has this evolved would you say? <laughs> I think uh, for me personally I think it's as I said it's that added feeling of responsibility mm. for the team and also for the investors that you brought right. in both. Um, and 
there's just a bit more determination that I need to at all times uh, I mean, keep thinking of options to make things better for all of those. Hmm. Um, so yeah, you can't fully switch off when you're an entrepreneur right. at all. I mean, earlier <laughs> say as a corporate, even as a CEO, you would take vacations where you hmm. two weeks, phones off. Yeah. You're not replying to emails, you're not looking at anything. Can't so. do that anymore. Yeah, I think you can't do that at all, full stop. Uh, yeah. At best, maybe it's like a day or two at a stretch and even then you'll be yeah. checking phones every five, six hours to see if there's anything urgent. I guess now, to. because you're responsible for this, you want to go back to it, I guess. Would you say? Or? You have to and you yeah. want to both. So the, the sweet spot is when you have to and you want to as well. Yeah. So far, so good. But... Uh, I suspect even in the future, if at some point you don't want to, you will still have to. So mm. that would be not a good outcome. Yeah, say. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. So looking back, um, what do you think in general matters most when starting up as an entrepreneur or what mattered most to you when you did? I think uh, uh, at least for me, when over the last few years I have been investing in startups and I mm. closely watched sort of other people who had started up. Mm. Um, what I sort of really enjoyed or really liked seeing there was this feeling that you know they're really in charge of their destiny and they were um, very active very engaged in terms of how can we actually make it better mm. so it was a very positive kind of image that I had for uh, the better entrepreneurs that I knew mm. and I always thought to myself you know I should be there doing that and I think that's basically what drives you can you create something and sort of make it better at all times hmm. So. Hmm. great um, so we're gonna shift gears a bit and go back to when you were younger what would you say that are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in that period or specifically from your parents or people you interacted with then and how has that have those lessons influenced you in this journey that you're on would you say? I, think, uh, I think the biggest life lessons you take away from that age, and especially from parents and mm. to a smaller extent from sort of friends and sort of maybe colleagues when you start working is just around values and sort of doing the right thing to people uh, or by people. So you don't, uh, I think at that time you don't realize the value of that, but are you always sort of at least promising and delivering what you promise? Mm. Um, and sort of being fair to people around you, I think that does become important. So mm. what we call values, right? But that actually is the most important lesson I think at that stage. Mm. Um, apart from, of course, from a school or a college perspective, you're picking up uh, skills or knowledge, mm. uh, obviously, which are going to be relevant for you in later yeah. life as well. So have you inculcated that those specific values into the culture that you so in the how? company, we have definitely tried to build that. So it's and how do you do that? Um, I think as founders, we have to sort of model that for people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in any startup, most of the early employees tend to be relatively young. Uh, mm. Many of them are either freshers or maybe one or two years out of uh, typically undergrad. Mm. So at that level, they've not really worked in too many corporate cultures or may not have a set pattern in the way that they work. Mm. It's important that you as a founder or as a set of co-founders sort of show them how to interact. So give some small examples, right? So like most startups, I think we have a very open culture. So we don't have like cubicles or rooms or all in one open space. People mm. can walk up at any time, ask questions. But also uh, being open to receiving questions from people at any time mm. and being 
you know just conscious that I have to give a clear as well as a ideally data backed kind of an answer rather than just saying do this because I say so that's right. always the wrong answer yeah but do this because this is why you should be doing mm. it so I think that helps to explain to people interesting um, also I think uh, just the willingness to question mm. a lot of uh, people fresh out of college hesitate to say what's on their mm. mind or to ask tough questions and you have to just provoke people and say you know please say what's on your mind or ask the question mm. and I think that just helps to build that culture mm. great how did this path that you're on over the last two years how do you think it's evolved from what you envisioned it to be when you started I think uh, the business model has changed uh, mm -hmm. or has evolved over time, uh, mostly for the better. The regulatory picture has become clearer uh, mm. as an industry. I think that's definitely helped us also to grow. I think what's, uh, uh, from a funding perspective, when we had started, we had sort of very optimistically thought we need one round of funding and then we'll be super profitable mm -hmm. forever. That has not proved to be the case. So yeah. we have actually then raised a CDC and we are actually in the middle of uh, raising a Series B as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all good because it's actually meant that we've scaled up uh, quite rapidly and are on the path to scaling up even more. Hmm. Um, so I think those things have changed slightly. But uh, otherwise it's been a good journey. When we had started we had thought we'd build a 30 person kind of a team. We're now maybe about 40 odd and wow. likely to go a bit more. So we've also increased the sort of scope of what we're doing. Hmm. So not just poker but fantasy sports hmm. as well and so on. So change happens mostly for the good <laughs> you just have to be flexible and keep yeah, at yeah. it as a startup you definitely have to because you don't know at the start exactly right, right. So. and how do you think um, in terms of your founders mindset how do you keep an open mind what are some of the things that have helped you um, how do you keep an open mind is a difficult question. I think <laughs> some people have open minds generally. Right, yeah. And they've been conditioned that way through mm. their life or career. And uh, as a founder, you want to sort of seek out other co-founders who also have similar, who are open to sort of discussion, feedback, change. Um, I think if as a co-founder you are resistant to change, then you're in the wrong place mm. entirely. So I think we are lucky that all of us sort of have that kind of a DNA. And then for the company at large, we've tried to build that culture and that I think works. Great. So um, the question that's led me to starting this podcast is, does someone need to be inherently entrepreneurial or is it something that you learn throughout your experiences? So what are your thoughts? What has your experience been? Um, it's an interesting question. I've not really thought about it that way. But I mean, my... And this is now not data-based, but I think just sure, of theme. course, yeah. Um, I suspect that uh, I think there's a bit of a spectrum of people, and I'd say maybe half of humanity is not entrepreneurial and will not be. Yeah, and they can't be taught entrepreneurship in that sense. Hmm. There's probably a sort of a, a very small segment of people who are just so out there and entrepreneurial that they, I mean, right out of college or even before college, they really just want to go start up something, hmm. and that's a small segment. But I think there's a reasonable chunk in the middle and I would think I'm probably one of those to be honest who um, could have continued working in a corporate life as well but at some level you think you know there is a better way to do things or there's something better that I want to do and you there is a bit of entrepreneurialism in you and then you sort of develop that as you go 
in my case initially by investing in startups and sort of watching them and sort of seeing is this something i really want to do hmm. uh, both the upsides as well as the stresses is that something i want to take and once that answer is clear in your head then you say fine now is the time and then you become an entrepreneur full time so you're saying even you're basically product of your environment to some degree to some degree. if you have some even a tiny bit of i think it's a bit like you need to have that seed inside so mm. you want to yeah. be an entrepreneur and yeah. then i mean the environment that you work in the sort of influences that you pick up they will either help that seed to grow or it won't i don't know yeah yeah great that's an interesting answer that's great so now that being um a founder for a few years and have seen what it entails what would you say looking back whether were some of the experiences or instances that you're glad you went through um i'd say two or three mm-hmm. different ones that i can point to uh but one which i think all startups pretty much have to go through is uh, sort of the dilemma between going purely for growth versus going for profitability mm. and it swings at different times depending upon sort of what's out there in the funding environment and in the inherent business model right? mm. uh when we had started we had thought we'd be very much a profit focused rather than purely a growth focused company then as we raised funds then obviously there's the right temptation as well. the market is much larger you have the fund yeah. now let's start spending hmm. and let's grow and then you go on this sort of growth roller coaster hmm. uh and then at some point you say you know now maybe we're overspending and we need to actually cut back and move back towards profitability and, um so we talk about unit economics etc all the time yeah. but saying how much do you want to focus just on that versus growth Mm. So I think that's one uh, definitely challenge that appears and I think we now have sort of settled or figured out where we want to be on that spectrum. Um I think the second for me as I said uh, change from say the earlier corporate life to now is uh, saying in terms of hiring or letting go of people taking decisions sort of much quicker. Mm. Um so some people even though they're early in the company if they're doing really well you need to give them more opportunities much earlier. Hmm. and some people if they don't especially for cultural reasons if they don't fit in um so we don't have any sort of politics in the office we don't want that if somebody is looking like they're going to create that right and you basically say no we don't want that because that will affect everybody else around hmm. us well. hmm. so and that's something that in hindsight you say you know, those kinds of decisions you're glad you took and once you get comfortable taking those decisions then it just becomes easier hmm. so what would you say are some of the learnings like maybe some of the mistakes that you learned from what would you say are some of the learnings that um you went through so i think uh maybe in the very early days not investing enough behind growing the team quickly enough mm-hmm. so at a very early stage there is a bit of a mindset that yeah we'll have to solve everything mm. up front from first principles Uh, and sometimes it's better to just expand the team or get somebody else from outside who's working with you on solving something which is already been solved rather than trying to solve it yourself so that saves time and effort in the long run hmm. um maybe on the tech side that's the other where uh, i think in india especially hiring for tech is a challenge i'm sure you heard that from <laughs> yeah. other founders yes and uh, uh so how do you get past it what are some of the things that have worked for you so i think uh, you as a founder so we have a co-founder who's a CTO so that mm. obviously helps a lot yeah. in our case but even then i think uh, uh, i had you had to push the CTO or the co-founder to say 
this has to be number one priority as well to get more people into the team. So of your day, if you're devoting X percentage of time to coding and making sure that the code is working, you also need to devote Y percentage of time to hiring mm. at all times. Because it, it's not easy. You do have to have a pipeline. You need to have a sort of set of interviews lined up at all points. Mm. Um, and especially if you want to be a bit choosy in terms of who you hire. Mm. So it's not... Uh, so it's a continuous process that you just need Especially to in the early it. days. Because once you've built a certain scale of team, mm. then referrals, word of mouth, etc. Right. helps a lot. Yeah. But in the early days when your brand is not known, you maybe raise a little bit of money, but it's not headline type of money, mm, so mm. then it's a challenge, right? How do you find that? Interesting. Great. Um, so since you've raised a couple of rounds of funding, um, what would you say are some of the nuanced differences in raising an initial round or a seed round as compared to a larger round like the Series A or the Series B that you're currently raising? So I think the nature of the discussions changes quite mm -hmm. quite uh, uh, dramatically. So the initial seed round is fundamentally about the founders. Um, so most of the people who will invest are people that, uh, in our case, for example, they're mostly people that have worked with me or worked with one of my co-founders in our previous lives. So those are people taking a bet on the person mm. and broadly saying, you know, this sector looks interesting or this sector looks like it has potential. But people are not delving into the business plan at that level, etc. Mm. Series A is different. Series A still looks a lot at potential, not just on performance or what's you built. But they will be looking at is the business model in place, mm. has the team been built, uh, etc. Series B onwards, I think it's a lot more to do with scaling up and your basic business model, profitability, and you also have historical have to be data. in place. Unit economics becomes much more important. Right. Um, various metrics become much more important. Mm. Great. Um, so, in hindsight, how do you think a founder could be better prepared for their first large funding round, for example, the Series A? When you look back, um, I think uh, <laughs> the one advice I would give to myself from back there is to <laughs> start earlier. Yeah. <laughs> just to take longer. <laughs> Because you normally look at it and say, you know, it should take about maybe a month or two to negotiate documents <laughs> and a month or two to identify investors. It always investors. takes, it takes twice as long. <laughs> it takes twice as long or thrice as long. Yeah. But, uh, and so it just helps start earlier, just uh, reach out wider hmm. uh, before you settle on sort of the one investor or the two investors that you really want to bring in. Make sure you've spoken to a few more so you get a sense for sort of what you're looking for in an hmm. investor also. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's, I think, for each round, not just for the first round. Hmm. Great, I guess you need to kiss a lot of toads. Yes. <laughs> what are, I guess, some of the aspects or qualities that you think provides a successful founder-investor dynamic? I mean, how would you, how would that look like for you? I think uh, mutual respect is obviously very important. Hmm. Um, it's both ways. So the investor should trust the company, the company should trust the investor. Uh, hmm. There has to be a common sort of buy-in to what is the vision of the company and what is the roadmap to get there. There will always be changes along the way which uh, primarily the entrepreneur will have to drive and the investor will have to either seed or support in mm. that sense. Uh, but uh, the dynamic is important that they're both trusting what the other one is doing on that. Uh, I'd say one other thing which, uh, especially in India, if you're looking at multiple rounds, then I think your current set of investors always has an important role to play in terms of introducing 
potential yeah. next round investors. I think that's important. Yeah, great. Um, so now that you you mentioned that you had a four, you have a forty plus um, team, and um, so what are some of the um, most important aspects that, according to you, that need to be addressed for a healthy relationship, either between your co-founders or between within your team specifically? So I think uh, uh, at early stages, so. Just, we're just about at the edge of that now, where uh, currently every single person in the company does have access to every single co-founder. And you can sort of manage that very mm. easily when you're about 20 people. Yeah. It becomes tougher when you're sort of 40, but it's still manageable. Mm. Now, if we were to scale up to say a 60 or 100 person team, mm. then that would have to change. So the first step of that, which we sort of started putting in place over the last year, is just a more structured performance review kind of a cycle. Mm. Um, so in the early days, it's very easy to be fully flexible where maybe one day you're working with one founder and another day you're working with somebody right. else. But now I think at least uh, uh, we're at a stage where everybody needs to know, okay, I'm reporting to this person. Mm. I can still interact with others. But this person Got is it. responsible for yeah. my career path, progression, etc. Mm. And I think the next, as you start scaling a bit more, it just needs to get more structured. Um, people need to also know sort of reporting relationships or sort of who are peers, who are senior, junior, etc. You know, very early stage, it's all the same. Hmm. So for you specifically as a founder and CEO, how has that interaction changed from early stage to now? Um, it's the flip side, right? So, I mean, at early stages, you are expecting to give time to everyone and interact hmm. with, I mean, you would literally be brainstorming everything from what kind of tax structure you should be looking at to what kind of gameplay you should be looking hmm. at in your case or how do you do customer acquisition? So you sit in on everything, you sort of become right. a part of every discussion. Yeah. At some point, the scale becomes too large. You need to let go. You can't. Um, you need to let go. You also need to sort of, uh, I mean, teams in any case in our structure were pretty empowered to do that, but you would participate mm. or you would brainstorm a lot on each of those points. Now I think you ought to just pick your battles in terms of which are really important right. ones that you need to spend time on. Yeah. A lot of stuff should then be autopilot. Mm. So. Great. What would you say is, your philosophy to innovate. Um, what are some of the things that you take that you take inspiration from? So I think innovation is one of the toughest nuts to crack for yeah. a company, mm. and I'm not sure we have fully cracked it. <laughs> I think what what I find useful is uh, just getting inputs from as many different people in the company, mm -hmm. and also trying to give different people responsibility for innovation at different times. Hmm. Uh, not necessarily for innovation at the company level, but saying in this area that you're handling or in this area that somebody else is handling but we need new ideas, can you think of something? Hmm. Um, so that kind of thing helps. Plus, uh, every once in a while doing like a all hands brainstorming, just okay, this is something that we're working on. If anybody has ideas, just throw up right. those ideas to up your hands. And that yeah. actually does work as well. Hmm. Um, I'm sure there are better ways out there and I'd love to learn more, <laughs> but that, that's what we're doing right yeah. now. Great, great. Um, what would you say are some of your expectations of yourself right now that you, um, and how do you manage those expectations? Um, managing expectations from yourself <laughs> is going to be a very difficult <laughs> battle. Uh, no, but I think uh, as, as a CEO, and secondly, as a co-founder, I think I do expect to be able to provide direction, guidance to the team as required mm. and to set direction. I think this is what needs to get delivered. Mm. Um, there are periods where people are sort of on 
I mean, they know exactly what they need to do. So you just need to just stay in the background and let them do it. Right. But there are periods when, say, things are not going well, and that's mm. when you need to really step up and sort of push people a lot yeah. more. Um, so my expectation is, in those times, I should not be also sort of looking for inspiration, but providing inspiration. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, that's so it's a balancing act. Yeah. So I mean, it does take time and effort. So mm. you will focus on periods where you think you really have to work out of your skill. Like that. Yeah. Great. As a founder and as um, someone who's running a business, from who's run a business from scratch, failure is part of life, right? So, um, how would you, what is, how do you deal with it, and how do you try to overcome it? What are some of the things that have um, worked for you? So, one is the sort of macro, big level failure, which says the company folded up. Right. Yours. So we've not faced that, yeah. thankfully, and hopefully we don't, but. Uh, especially as a consumer facing startup mm. at a day-to-day -day level there will always be some challenges or failures that you face right mm. so the customer who got really angry for some reason mm. because he didn't like the customer service or he thought somebody was not giving him what he promised etc so you have those kinds of situations and especially for gamers and young customers that also very often would mean like social media or a sudden sort right. of bad rating somewhere so there are those things that you just very early on you learn that you have to face hmm. um, what what we have done on that front is just to be as founders visible and out there so it does take a lot of time hmm. but it's important and it builds a rapport with your key customers um, other kinds of failures are people that you wanted to hire that you couldn't hmm. that walked away from an offer for example yeah uh, or people we've not lost people that we wanted to retain so far hmm. but that could happen at some point as well um, so. You mentioned um, you as founders, you try to be as visible. How, um, bec because it's more of a customer-facing company. So, how has that helped? In what way? Could you elaborate more? Um, so, as I said, we have two verticals: <coughs> poker and fantasy sports. Hmm. Especially in poker, it's a. Uh, I mean, overall in India, there's maybe about a uh, 150, 200,000 active poker players mm -hmm. across sites, and potential market is about 7 to 8 million so that will grow much more but of the current universe so of those maybe about 5 to 10,000 are what we would call very active very engaged mm. so they will play every day practically or like 5 to 6 days a week etc and it's like a community so a lot of these people uh, will congregate on uh, so there are some private Facebook groups right. WhatsApp groups where they'll be like a few hundred or a few thousand together now, as founders, sorry, these groups they are not uh, facilitated by you. These no. are just these are just okay. so poker player groups, which have been around. Right. Some poker players would be moderators, mm. but it's like a community set up by poker players for poker right. players. So, as a site owner or founder, you will be. We've taken a call that we will be members of those groups and we will be directly visible and available. Got it. Which causes a lot of stress in a in a consumer facing business so somebody I mean there was a server problem somebody's app stopped working they'll right. be thinking you saying what's going on yeah uh, or this is poker you could win money you could also lose money mm. somebody lost money says oh I think your site is not working properly there are whatever there's XYZ yeah. issue so you mm. need to deal with those but mm. because I mean over a period of <coughs> months and years now we have built a presence there we have responded as quickly as possible to each of those it may not be the answer the guy wants to hear mm. but it makes it's at least a clear answer saying this is why something happened 
so over time people develop that respect and they expect that okay this company at least will deliver what it promises that, right that helps and right. because these guys are sort of uh, the more frequent or more hardcore players they then influence others so it Got becomes it. a very good referral for us so that's the call that we took great sounds great so um before we wrap up i have a few fun questions different questions so um if not an entrepreneur what would you still be doing if you hadn't started this um i'd probably be off somewhere playing scrabble i'm not <laughs> joking seriously but or teaching it to kids but oh yeah. yeah you mentioned that you are pretty great at scrabble could you tell us more about that um so I, i mean i think many of us have played scrabble as kids right but yeah. um i started playing competitively about 5 or 6 years back that's also when i discovered that there was a competitive scrabble yeah. circuit in the wow. first place um uh, and over time sort of my ratings and rankings improved so i kind of hit mm. the top 20 in india at one point wow. just before we started nine stacks after that it's been <laughs> a reasonably steady decline so i'm probably still in the top 50 or 40 somewhere but that's yeah. about it wow. um but it's fun and it's something which is challenging it's uh, mm. sort of keeps you excited motivated mm. um one of my kids also is now is playing quite seriously uh, in the age group championships right. and with adults but uh, um, yeah and in my free time i do try and do some workshops for like schools for teaching scrabble right. or introducing scrabble to kids there yeah. so yeah maybe at some point in the future try and do a beach play scrabble sounds good that sounds great <laughs> great um so if you could have one superpower what would it be what would you always wanted to be if you used to read comic books or anything like no, that no, when no. you were younger i think from a from a very selfish startup entrepreneur point yeah, of view yeah of course i think just the ability to focus really hard for like 18 hours a day would be really <laughs> nice <laughs> Unfortunately it's usually limited to like 4 to 6 hours a day I think at best. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> That's a great um, quality you have to be honest. I feel like qu- quite a lot of the founders I've interviewed they've pretty much said more or less the same thing. <laughs> yeah because uh, like it or not there's always a lot of just general random hmm. small stuff which needs to get done as well right. So yeah. that takes away your time and attention. Yeah. But if you could sort of have all that go away and just focus on really important stuff or brainstorming for ideas. Yeah. That actually is I think where you are the most as a founder. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the the podcast. It was lovely um talking to you so there. Thank you and this was a pleasure and uh, really enjoyed it and hope you continue your exploration of sort of <laughs> definitely founders and sort of what tries and what helps them. So yeah. Look forward to hearing. Great. You. Thank you. Thank you.